Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green and your host. Hey guys, hope you're all doing well. We have Ryan Holiday with us, the author of one of my favorite books that I find myself picking up all the time and re-referencing, Stillness is the Key. He's back on the show. He first appeared in December in episode 166. You'll definitely want to check that episode out. But, you know, as I mentioned, as we all grapple with uncertainty and the fear that comes along with it, I I just find myself continually reaching for stillness is the key. So it's great to have Ryan back with us. Ryan, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Quite a lot has happened and changed since we uh, saw each other. (laughs) The old world. The old world. So how do we use this time? of uncertainty, this time of chaos, if you will, to reflect and, and really use this time for personal and professional growth? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, obviously a lot has happened and, and most of it is sort of very, very negative and, and very depressing and sad, right? Uh, people have been wiped out, people have lost their job, you know, there are people who are listening who might be in both of those camps. And so when I think about that, I I, I don't... I don't want to be flipping and say like, oh, okay, like, look, this, the, the good news is like, I did learn how to play guitar, you know, or, or whatever, like that, 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 that sort of cold comfort. But to me, that, that is the only way that sort of meaning comes out of suffering is what, what growth comes out of it. What, what do we do? And so I, I am trying to think about how do I use, how do I use this time? Uh, on the one hand, it's, it's nice. There's fewer interruptions. I'm, I'm home. So I'm spending more time with my kids. I, I do think like, there's a great argument to be made. This is, you know, uh, you could be productive in a lot of ways that you ordinarily wouldn't be. But I, I think the real opportunity here is to do something that we don't often have a lot of time to do, which is reflect, which is to think big picture. This crisis has forced us to reevaluate a lot of things. It's forced us to stare at a lot of things, you know, that that maybe we were uncomfortable about thinking about or afraid to question. And so I think, um, one way we can use this time is to use this time to make things, to 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 think things, and to sort of do the things that it's hard to do in busy normal life, like when you have to run to the bank or when you have to run errands or you know you have meetings. All of that has been temporarily put on pause. It would be a shame to fill it up, you know, with small tiny projects around the house. I think you want to use this time to really do the things you can't ordinarily do. So you mentioned being afraid, and you had this great quote in your newsletter from Faulkner, and I'll I'll read the quote. It was, be scared, you can't help that, but don't be afraid. Yeah. So so I write about the Stoics, and that word Stoic, people think, means like has no emotions, no reactions. I think that's actually totally wrong. It's that after they had that emotion, the Stoics were able to regroup and continue on. So this idea that courage is the absence of fear is really dangerous and really not the case. It's what do you do after you get scared or even though you are scared? So, I mean, even just what we're talking about, about like, you know, using this time to think, using this time to be productive, like that is not mutually exclusive with being afraid, being upset, you know, being anxious about where things are going. It's realizing that you have those emotions and then saying, hey, those are probably not the most 
helpful emotions. They might even be counterproductive. So I'm going to put them aside and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to, I'm going to find some way to make good out of it. That that's what I'm thinking is like, okay, yeah, this is scary. There's a lot of uncertainty, but what is certain is I'm going to get up early this morning and, and get to work. And, you know, there's a fine line, at, at least uh, I'm finding that personally, where, you know, you have to check the news, you have to be informed, but at the same time, you can't let it consume you. And, totally. that, and that's different for everyone about in terms of how much content they're able to consume without crossing over that line to... And, and I, I would say that even being informed, you know, how much of the information is day-to-day changing what you're actually supposed to be doing. So it's like, I read the news and it's like, oh, crisis still happening, still stay in your house, you know, still wash your hands, you know, still be stocked up on stuff, you know, still, you know, expect this to last a long time. So, so it's like, make sure that you're, when you're consuming information, that it's, it's information that's not just telling you more of what you already know, which is that things are scary and things are bad and a lot is going wrong at the same time. So you mentioned the Stoics and everyone, I encourage everyone to go back and listen to our, our first podcast, but can you maybe just do a quick primer on the concept of Stoicism and then part two, talk about isolation and being alone and how that in some ways it can be a very powerful practice for growth, but it can also be sure. extraordinarily difficult and sort of how stoicism meets isolation, if you, if you will. Yeah. So, so stoicism originates in ancient Greece. It makes its way to uh, ancient Rome. It was a philosophy of soldiers and emperors and slaves and all, all sorts of people in between. But if, if I had to summarize it, I'd really summarize it in one sentence, I'd say a Stoic believes that we don't control the world around us, but we do control how we respond. Right. And so, you know, we didn't cause COVID-19. We didn't ask to be quarantined in our house. That's just a reality of the situation. We accept that. And then we say, OK, what I'm going to do about that is X or how I'm going to use that time is X. And so not only did Marcus Aurelius happen to live through what was known as the Antonine Plague, which is way worse than what we're experiencing, and, and ultimately uh, he died from it after 15 years. That, that's how long the plague went on. Um, so if we think we've been trapped in our house for a while, like imagine some version of quarantining and, and the sort of emergency preparedness lasting for a decade and a half. Um, but, but most of the Stoics were also like also exiled. So one of my favorite quotes, uh, there's an early Stoic, his name was Musonius Rufus, and he was exiled like three or four different times because the philosophers were always getting in trouble. And he said, uh, his response, like someone said, isn't this so bad? You know, what are you going to do? You've lost everything. And he said, look, I may have lost my country, but I haven't lost the ability to endure exile. So even just the idea that like, I'm like, my response to this is just to endure it. I'm just going to get through it. I'm tough enough to do that is I think something we can, we can take from this. And so, you know, if, if, if the only upside is, Hey, people emerge from this with a little more confidence in their ability to bounce back from stuff or to endure the unexpected or to know like, Hey, um, you know, I, I'm not just one of those fair weather people who can only, you know, survive when things are good. You know, to me, that's a positive. Well, when you talk about controlling the external, it, it, I can't think of another time in my lifetime where 
we've had so little control. Yeah. And that's humbling. And, you know, it, it is a, a very good point to make that, you know, it, in those times, it's it's so easy to, you know, again, like we, we so many people have read Viktor Frankl and we read all sure. these books about being able to control our emotions and our mental state. And, and look, it, it's it, it's hard. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been put to that test right now. And it's it's not easy. No, and, and look, like this is what history is like. I think when we when we read a history book, we think like, oh, this happened a long time ago. That's because that's how the world was. You know, things were 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 worse then, you know, people didn't know as much. But it's like, no, no, no. It wasn't fun to live through those things. It wasn't fun to be uh, you know, to live in New York City during the Civil War, even if, you know, the Civil War never came to New York City. It wasn't fun to live through the plague. It was scary to live through the Cold War, right? All all these the the, the Great Depression was terrifying. That's history was not fun always for the people who went through it. And and so we're going through history right now and there's going to be parts of it that are really not fun. There's going to be parts of it that are surreal and fascinating. There's going to be parts of it that we have really bad memories of, but then there's also the opportunity to have really good memories from this and to be proud of how you comported yourself and to, to be able to look back at what you managed to do sort of despite it or during it or whatever. And, and that's, that's something that I'm trying to always remind myself through is like, oh yeah, like history didn't just randomly stop a few years ago. This is a historical event and we're in the middle of it. And that's just the reality. For, so for someone who is a historian, if you will, and has, in my opinion, a tremendous ability to see the forest through the trees, how are you seeing the forest through the trees right now? <laughs> uh, it, it's hard, right? Because you can see the forest for the trees and then you have to figure out where to get groceries, right? So it's like the sort of big and smallness of it. Um, I mean, look, as, as far as pandemics go, this is, you know, probably the best one to live through, right? It's as far as true global pandemics, like I'd, I'd certainly rather be in COVID-19 than the Antonine plague. You know, there were years when the when smallpox killed hundreds of thousands of people every year for hundreds of years, right? Like as taxing as this is on the medical system, as unprepared as we were, you know, this is the best time to get sick in a pandemic ever. And Part of the reason, if you're trying to look at this, hopefully, part of the reason COVID-19 has, has overwhelmed us the way that it has is pr- actually because it's not as deadly as most diseases, right? So, like, if SARS had become an epidemic of this uh, magnitude, it would have been, you know, sort of truly a global holocaust, right? It, it's it's the fact that you can get COVID-19 and then go on a ski vacation is why we're in this mess, right? People went on cruises and then they flew across the country and then they then, then they went to an event and they personally shook hands with hundreds of people. Like the, the fact that COVID-19 is relatively mild is weirdly the 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 solace in this, right? If it was worse, it would be worse. So I, I kind of try to remind myself of that. And then the other thing I try to think about what gives me hope is like, hey, maybe this will be a wake up call for a lot of people. And I think politically we can we can talk about this without going into specific candidates. But I think we can say like, hey, um, maybe we were naive thinking that 
a politician's party affiliation was the most important thing. Actually, maybe the job of a leader is to be competent, to know what they're doing. And I think we're seeing this in 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 politicians, Republican and Democrat, um, who are just utterly unqualified to be in positions of responsibility. And we put those people there because they said the right things or they, you know, they agreed to the right boxes. But but the truth was like, actually, no, leadership is really hard. It's an art and we need really great leaders. And so, you know, one of my hopes in, in this is that we emerge historically sort of shaken out of our stupor a little bit. I love that you segue to leadership. One of the things I loved about stillness is you have all these great anecdotes from great world leaders from our past, Churchill, Kennedy, Marcus Aurelius, many others. And, you know, you talk about serious crises we've had in in history. These were some pretty serious crises that people have dealt with. And so, you know, I'm curious, what, what do you think some of these world leaders who aren't with us right now what do you think they'd be saying about COVID-19? And then part two of the question is, if you could pick one of those leaders to bring back from the dead sure. and lead us right now, who would you pick? I mean, if you look at a Lincoln or a Washington or a Churchill, um, people who led through sort of real profound crises, what their superpower was, aside from the fact that they were also good leaders, they, they were really great communicators. And they could communicate to people in a way that was trusted, in a way that was inspiring, in a way that was, you know, absolutely necessary, what needed to be done, and they were able to communicate what they were doing. And so when I look uh, at, at this, and I think this is a Republican-Democrat thing, too, the real failure I see, despite, you know, aside from not having enough masks, you know, ignoring warnings, et cetera, is the utter incapability of these leaders to communicate effectively. Like as, as an example, like so in Austin, um, w w the, the mayor was somewhat smart, right? They, they shut down South by Southwest early. They've done a bunch of stuff. And then um, we're, we're in a shelter in place. And so, you know, the, 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 the mayor has said a couple of times, he goes like, okay, it's shelter in place. The police will not be enforcing this, but it's a shelter in place. And it's like, um, I don't know if you've ever communicated to anyone before, but telling someone that what you're saying is not, doesn't matter and isn't going to be enforced is a really bad way to, uh, you know, to, to, to communicate. And then of course, no one follows that order. I think New York is a great example. It's like, you know, de Blasio, you know, did some of the right things or said some of the right things. And then, you know, the day before the lockdown rushes to the gym and works out. And so it, it's, it's not, it's not just what you say, but the, but the sort of symbolism and the theatrics and the message you're sending, like Churchill was famous whenever London was attacked. Um, during the Blitz, he would go out and be seen inspecting the rubble. He wanted the, the British people to see him. Now, ironically, during a pandemic, that's the exact opposite of the message the leader should be sending. It's like, you know, we should be seeing Trump in a mask. We should be seeing Trump not shake hands and wipe down the microphone. These sort of the, the communication is really key. And I think um, on top of all our other problems, we've seen a lack of communication. And so, you know, if I had my pick of leaders, it'd be be someone who could, you know, it could be a Reagan, it could be a Churchill, it could be a Lincoln, it could be a Washington, it could be whomever. But what I'd want from them is the ability to sort of soberly and and, uh, you know, emphatically 
get across what needs to be get across got across because you know lives hang in the balance of that great communicator totally when you mentioned austin and south by i was going to interrupt and say well that really happened because of tim ferris your friend <laughs> well, I was just I, I was just thinking about that, you know, and, and I was talking about this for the Daily Stoke podcast that we do. You know, we had this idea that philosophy is this abstract thing and and, and that like we, maybe sometimes we tell ourselves like an individual can't make a difference. But here was one guy and look, he has a big platform, but like, you know, he has the same Twitter account that any anyone else has. And he was a big part in canceling uh, or, or contributing to the cancellation of a of, of an event that if you compare, you know, Austin to New Orleans or Austin to Florida in the areas where people celebrate spring break, you know, we are Texas has a lot fewer infections and, you know, one individual played a big part in that. I mean, and and it's again, it's not just uh, not just you know, sort of celebrities. The mayor of San Francisco, who banned you know gatherings over a thousand people uh, early on, was a big part of why the NBA had to shut down because the the Warriors couldn't play. And so individuals can make a difference, and that's what leadership really is. And at, at the time, we were coming off of the cancellation of Expo West. And look, those de- decisions uh, were not taken lightly and so painful for so many people. But in retrospect, you, you, wow, absolutely 100% the right thing to do. Yeah. And, and I think that's a good reminder, too, like doing the right thing. Like the Stoics sort of have these virtues of courage and, and justice and wisdom and temperance. The truth is, like, knowing what's right is hard. Doing what's right is hard. And then... You know, the criticism or heat that you take for doing the right thing is hard. Right. And so none of it's easy. And and uh, yeah, you've, you've got to have some fortitude to be able to make that happen. And I think it's counter to the way so many politicians operate where they, they just do polling on everything. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. No. And, and yeah. So th- they think, oh, this is what people want. I'm safe. But actually, they're not. You have to be able to think of how are people going to look back on that? And I think that's actually when I talk about waking us up. You know, I think a lot of politicians have not done a great job thinking about how this the events of the last few years are going to be looked at in retrospect. And 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 so it's all about sort of zooming way out and also sometimes zooming way in. It all it all depends. So you mentioned doing the right thing and something else you said in your newsletter. I, I loved. you said we have to focus on on the six things, as Chris Hadfield, the astronaut, might say that we can do to make it better. So what are those six things we can do to make it better? You know, I, I if I was trying to make that article better, I realized I wasn't totally clear because a lot of people said, hey, what's the list of six things? And and so uh, that's my fault. So there's a great quote from Chris Hadfield, who's a Canadian astronaut. He has an awesome TED Talk. But he says, like, um, he says, astronauts are prepared. They're not brave. They're prepared. But he says, he goes, like, look, in, in some situation, he's like, I'm in some bad situation. He goes, Right now, there's six things I can do better that will make things better. And he's like, and I also try to remind myself, you know, there's no problem so bad that you can't make it worse. So I think what he's saying is not that there's always six things, but there's always things that you could do to make it better. But if we were to try to come up with six things, I mean, number one would be like stay in your house. Uh, number two would be, you know, limit your news consumption only to like important things. Um, it would be, uh, you know, 
see what you can do for your neighbors to be able to limit the amount of time that they have to leave their house. So like, for instance, there's a, an old lady who lives up the street from me, uh, who, uh, doesn't, isn't good at driving and also shouldn't be driving. So like I've gotten, I've like gotten groceries for us, then I've brought some to her. So she doesn't have, like, she doesn't have to go out. So I'm limiting not just my own, uh, you know, uh, interactions, but limiting other people. Um, number, uh, number four would be, um, like keep your, keep your family safe. Um, you know, it's funny, like, um, about a month ago when, before this was serious, my, my parents were taking it seriously and they, my mom was going to go visit my grandmother. And I was like, you can't go visit grandma. This is a really bad idea. My, my grandmother lives in an old folks home. And my mom was like, Oh, you know, she wasn't taking it seriously. So then I had to get my dad involved. Then I had to get my sister involved. It took like a half dozen conversations and texts to finally, you know, to get her to promise she wasn't going to do this. Well, it turns out a couple weeks later, uh, they found out that they probably had been exposed through a friend of a friend. And and so, it, you know, again, like it's not just doing what Tim Ferriss did, which is save hundreds of thousands of people from being exposed. But we should be thinking about who do we have the most control or influence over and, and starting there. So it's like less tweeting and more like getting your own house in order. That would be one. Uh other th- uh, what we were talking about earlier, like h- how can you focus on good that can come out of this? How can you be productive? And then I think the final thing would be, and I think you're you're noticing this. I, I talk about it in the book and then in some of my other writings. Like we can kind of tend to live in this bubble where we think we're going to live forever, everything's safe, everything's easy. I think one of the one of the things this has made for made real for people is is our mortality, is the fra- fragility of existence. And so if you can leave this going like, hey, like, you know, life doesn't really care about my plans. Life is very short. I got to take advantage of every minute. I think that that's another. There we go. I'm holding up your memento mori that you gave me. Is that am I pronouncing it right? Yes. Yes. Memento mori. You could leave. You could leave life right now. Let that. And and that quote from Marcus Rios, he says, you could leave life right now. Let that determine what you do and say and think. And, you know, he he existed in a plague far worse than the one we're in now. And so, yeah, I think if we can take from this, you know, I think one of the positives is like people are reconnecting with their family. They're being reminded of what's important. I don't think that's just happening because we're locked in our houses. I think we're being reminded like, oh, yeah, you know, making another 20 percent income this year doesn't feel as important as cherishing these people in these moments. So you mentioned being locked in our houses. How important are rituals and routines? I mean, super, super important. And I think, you know, you talked about how much is out of our control. That's a way to reassert some control over your life. So like, as soon as this is over, I'm going uh, to take my son for our bike ride. He he naps while we take a bike ride. So um, like I've been doing that at the same time every day. And I don't think I've ever done it this many days in a row. But but that's a way that we're both sort of having some structure amidst what is otherwise a lot of chaos. And so what do you do when you're having just like a tough day right now? I mean, I, I think be be generous with yourself, like, you know, whipping yourself about it isn't isn't going to make it any better. I mean, I, I think exercise is a way to sort of come up with an easy win. Um, you know, doing some reading is an easy way to come up with a win. Maybe put those thoughts down in a journal. That's another sort of easy win. Um, 
just just remind yourself, like, look, you don't have to get through however many weeks of this this is. All you have to get through is today. And so it's kind of like zoom in a little bit as we we're talking about focus on what's in front of you to me that's a, that's another pretty good way so if we're zooming in at the same time we're you know trying to zoom out as we yeah. get through this you know what are you most concerned about and what are you most excited about well i'm i'm concerned uh i'm, I'm concerned that this has frayed already pretty fragile institutions so i'm potentially worried about that i think it, it shattered some myths that we, especially as Americans, have had about ourselves that like, you know, we know how to solve problems. We've got our stuff together. All, all these are fixable, but I, I'm concerned about that. I think the other. So James Stockdale, who spent seven years in a in a prison camp uh, in North Vietnam, he was asked, like, who had the hardest time in the prison camps? And he said his answer was the optimists. And and he, he didn't mean that he didn't think he was going to make it out. He knew he was going to make it out. Uh, and he never doubted himself in that. But it was the people who said, oh, this will be over by Christmas. Right. Or, or oh, next week uh, they said it's going to be good news. And, and I think, you know, people are already talking about, oh, how we've reached the peak. Hey, what what takes a while to come up takes a while to come down. Right. And and I, I'm, I'm just worried that maybe people have only mentally prepared for this to be short. And in fact, we're we're not even at the end of the beginning of this. I love that you mentioned Stockdale. I think that was a good to great, right? Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, the Stockdale paradox. And it was, it yep. was, it's like a great spin on optimism because you, you have yes. to balance it with re- optimism meets realism. Yeah, he says, uh, you know, I never doubted that I would uh, that I would prevail in the end, and that I would turn this into something that I would not trade for, but you can't tell yourself it's going to happen tomorrow. Well, Christmas, you get your hopes up, Christmas would come, and then people would start to take a toll on them mentally. And then after, you know, holiday after holiday, people just start to give up, but they lost hope, and then that was it. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so last question, you know, it's mid-April 2020. What do you think we're going to be saying about COVID-19, hopefully, you know, a year from now? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I hope we say, hey, this forced us to come together. This forced us to challenge a lot of our assumptions. This forced us to to invest and and to make sure that this never happened again. Um, I mean, I I hope that that this is a wake up call for us politically, that we get serious. I I hope there's a lot of change uh, in the elections coming up. I think there needs to be. Um, But but, you know, I I do I do worry that uh, not worry, but but that 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 would be the positive that the negative would be everyone's talking about how we can't wait for it to go back to normal it should not go back to normal normal was not normal and normal contributed to this and so uh that my fear is that we try to make it go back to normal as opposed to trying to make it better amen to that ryan yeah thank you so much thank you everyone stillness is the key it's the the book that i keep on finding myself thumbing through i'm you know i'm a kindle guy but i'm glad i'm so glad i got the hardcover well thank you very much i really appreciate it thank you ryan 